Ho, 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 shit. club members and Merry Krampus. I'm Kate here with my sister Emma and um, for Christmas this year I got a video game where you can breed dinosaurs and feed guests to your dinosaurs. I am very intrigued by that and we'll, we'll have yeah. to follow up after this recording. It's a good game. Um, for Christmas this year I got to drive over where JFK was assassinated. Oh god. Yeah it was, it was dark. I got to see a the Merry Knoll. Christmas to us all. <laughs> yeah. 2020 has been a weird year. Yes, it has. <laughs> it was, but it's, it's almost a socially over. distanced gift. <laughs> it's almost over. I hope everyone's had a lovely socially distanced holiday. Um, and I'm very excited for this episode because we um, were supposed to cover it last year. And we thought we did. Um, turns out that there are not one but two remakes <laughs> to this movie. Oh. So yeah. last year, y'all thought you were covering the original and did like the 2006 or 2019 one uh, yeah we did the 06 one someone suggested black christmas and a couple other people were like yeah black christmas for sure and i was like oh of course i've seen that movie no idea that there was (laughs) (laughs) i was like that's a kind of weird movie but like if you guys really like (laughs) well i'm glad you at least did the middle one because I don't want to spoil the reception, but it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better. Well, all this to say I could have messed it up again because there, there's another remake out there, but I didn't. I got it right this time. If you guys want to watch it, we're watching the 1974 Black Christmas. I watched all of it on YouTube. It's all for free on YouTube. Even has like closed captioning. It was perfect. Um, and as the old adage goes, Christmas is over when I say it's over. So <laughs> we're st- we're still celebrating the holiday season over here. I go all the way until Easter. <laughs> we're very religious. <laughs> <laughs> Just really like holidays. We're either celebrating his birth or celebrating his death. <laughs> we're celebrating something. There's a bottle of wine and I'm drinking it with two hands. <laughs> What did you get for? Oh, you already told me you got to witness JFK's assassination. No, I got to relive it. It's different. I also got pajamas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My name monogrammed on How them. normal. <laughs> you got to yeah, balance, gotta it, balance out. it out somehow. But we're very excited to be covering um, the original Black Christmas today. Yeah, we're really excited that we finally got to cover this in its original form, its beloved form. We want to give a special shout out to Marnie. Katie the Lady and Carly, all three of whom at one point or another have recommended this to us. So uh, I hope that we are finally able to do justice to the recommendation that you originally gave us. This movie's got everything you want for the holiday season. Unicorn stabbings, a man in the attic, plastic bags. It's really got it all. It's got Lois Lane. Which one? I'm assuming the mean one. You mean the cool one? I mean, potato, Barb. potato. <laughs> Barb was, Barb Barb, was um, yes. Lois Lane to Christopher Reeve's Superman in all of those original movies. Wasn't there another horror movie that y'all have covered where, like one that I watched with you, Kate, I think we watched it with the family where someone else got stabbed with a unicorn. Emma, you're describing the Black Christmas 06 remake, which you watched with us last year. That was Yeah, that? that's the remake to this movie. Oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. They're kind of different. I thought it was going to be like a... Yeah, I mean, they're kind of different. But you're right. There are two unicorn stabbings. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. 
I'm glad that that one made it through. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad it had such a lasting impact on you. The thing I remember from the remake is the skin cookies. Yes, I thought that's exactly what I was thinking of, but I did not realize. Yeah, I think this one's better sans skin cookies. Yeah, I didn't need the skin. I thought I liked the skin cookies, um, but it just kind of, I think about it sometimes and I I don't like it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or like the weird family dynamics I could have done without. Well, those are in, he- those are in this movie, but like much, much more but subtle. It's, it's. There's a much yes, slighter hand to the original than there is to the remake. Yes, I think the scariest part is wondering what he's talking about. I think when you actually see it, you're like, uh, I didn't need to actually see it. No, like I it, could have gotten you know? the gist without it. But let's let's not talk about the remake. We've already done that. The remake was terrible, but you should definitely go <laughs> listen to that episode. It is a trip. Um, and definitely go watch it. But this one, um, arguably... No, without argument, this one's much better. I I don't I didn't even look up the critical reception because it doesn't matter if anyone thought the remake was better than this. They're smoking some drugs. Well, let me tell you. No, okay, good. Um, so <laughs> let me start with the film genre, as I always do. Um, I normally I like I wanted to you know go with something more unique, but I do really like grouping the different genres together, and so this one definitely fits with the remake. And I'm calling it Sorora Horror. <laughs> yes, I, I support. Sor- Sorora Horror. And th- again, this release date was in 1974, not 06, not 19. Um, but actually, finally, we have another budget in um, box office so we can talk about return on investment, which I is like my favorite thing to talk about. And this movie did super well. So the budget, at least financially, um, the budget was uh, 620000 Um which is like is decent for the seventies, and in the box office mm-hmm. they made just um, north of four million. So that's actually very impressive. That's twenty billion dollars today. Is it really? You know, if you convert it over, okay, four million to oh, twenty I don't, billion. You said it with such <laughs> conviction. <laughs> I absolutely believed you. You said it so earnestly. Twenty billion. Okay. Sorry, please continue. That was wrong. Um, so the director for this movie, um, I normally like to look into them, but his name was so plain and I didn't recognize it. I almost didn't, but I'm very glad I did. So the director is Bob Clark, who very famously directed another Christmas movie. Emma, do you know what movie that was? I know he's Canadian. Does that answer your question? It's, it does not. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. No, Bob Clark also famously directed A Christmas Story. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm very movie. into that. I am too. He just um, really loved Christmas, that man. God God help him. He he has a, a genre, and it is the Christmas genre. <laughs> now, as far as the background for this movie, you're right. It is a Canadian film. <laughs> Wait, just real Good quick. Research. Did, which came out first, A Christmas Story or this? Probably this. Oh, God. I don't actually know. A Christmas story. Christmas story I thought was like in the 80s. Yeah. this. Yeah. It, Christmas story was 83. This is 74. So we had to lighten it up. <laughs> He's like, all right. All right. I, I don't want to get typecast into murdering. I mean, a kid women. shot his eye out. Let's not. It's still pretty violent. Someone almost lost their tongue. That's true. That's true. There's bullying, um, domestic abuse. Maybe there are some. some there's themes. no domestic abuse. Remember whenever the they make kid him talk, wash whenever his mouth out with soap. Yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, that mom's pretty loud over the phone. 
Oh, the, you're right. Okay. Well, we're <laughs> we're getting on a tangent. We're not t- here to talk about a Christmas story. Um, so maybe we should. N- maybe another time. Next week time. we'll be starting our next no, podcast. No, we won't. No, we won't. Christmas though. all year round. All year round, just until Easter, Emma. <laughs> but this movie, um, it it came as no surprise whenever I read this. I was like, duh. There's 800 movies that are based on this urban legend. But this was the first to be based on the urban legend that we all love and know about the babysitter and the man upstairs. Have you checked the children? It's been like eight movies at this point, but apparently it was, you know, much fresher and scarier in the seventies. So that's literally all that they went off of to make this movie. And then they're like, what if we set it at Christmas and put it in a sorority? So to me, that's a completely different movie, but (laughs) They, they definitely saved. took that nugget and did a lot with it. But I will they say sure that did. I like I loved as like a modern viewer, I loved hearing the it's coming from the house, which I think because we're so kind of conditioned to some of to that trope at this point, I was waiting for it almost, even though I didn't know it was coming from this movie specifically. I like whenever he was running around to the different um, I don't quite know what was happening in that magic room, but when he was running around pressing buttons to locate the call, I was so ready for him to say it was coming from inside the house. So I would, <laughs> I, I thought that was really cool. I also like really the enjoy the the trope that doesn't exist now because of the digitalization of life, but the you have to stay on the line for at least 60 seconds or else we won't be able to trace the call. And I do get to talk about that later. I'll, I'll um, have a, a brief interlude where I talk about that because I got really interested and looked into the science mm-hmm. behind it, the tech behind it. Um, now on to the cast. So we've already talked about Barb, who you called the mean one. I think she's <laughs> the cool one. So Barb is she played by Margot. She literally bullies a man whose daughter is missing. She does do that. <laughs> she, she does. She does. Where do even that. the nice nerdy ones like go to bed, Barb. <laughs> the nice nerdy one that you're referring to is. Andrea Martin, I can't remember. Oh, her name is Phil, Phyllis, in the movie. That's Andrea Martin, who I know as, um, shoot, the aunt from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh, wow, what's, random. What's her, yeah, um, shoot, what's her name? Aunt Vula or something like that? I don't know, but they really weren't doing her any justice, dressing her like that and naming her Phil. That's how the 70s went, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how it went. Also, originally, she wasn't supposed to be playing Phil. It was going to be Gilda Radner. um, And she accepted the role. And then she had to drop out right, I think it was like a month before filming because she had commitments to Saturday Night Live. And then they got Andrea Martin, which is pretty cool. And then Mrs. Mack, who is not one of the sorority sisters, but I also think she's she's got problems, but I like her. Is Um, the MVP of the house. Is she? She's a terrible Is house the mom, mother. The, like the house mother. She's a terrible I house loved mother. Her. I, loved her. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed every second she was on screen. I, was and, like, I don't um, know which writer in the writer room thought to introduce this alcoholic house mother, but I just want to commend them. That was Bob Clark. That was the director. He based her off of his aunt. <laughs> I think that's kind of great because I didn't think about that at the time, but now that you're saying it. It kind of goes with the Christmas spirit. Like everyone has oh, that, no. <laughs> that family member who's maybe a little bit of an alcoholic. The maybe murders. Little, yeah. <laughs> I don't you know. know. I mean, I get that having a little nip at Christmas time, that's the Christmas spirit. Hiding Hennessy and hold out books in your <laughs> sorority house. I have to be honest. I leaned over to my boyfriend when I saw that. I was like, that's pretty cool. We should do that just to No, do Emma. <laughs> It's just like, 
I mean, like, what book do you pick to put it in? A book you I, love or a book you hate? A book you hate, obviously. Because you're going to carve out the, the outline? And you don't want anyone to pick it up. What if everyone thinks that's your favorite book? Because oh my <laughs> like, God, Miss Mac loves <laughs> Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> she cannot get enough of that book. That and the toilet. <laughs> she gets her other beverage. <laughs> She's got all sorts of little hidey holes for her bourbon. And she um, actually, I can't remember the actress's name for Mrs. Mac, but I do know that she wasn't the original choice, which is devastating because she was obviously the correct choice. I think but you're originally- referring to Marion Waldman. You just looked that up. Don't act like No, I didn't. It's in one of my reviews. Okay. Sure. Well, I know originally it was going to be Betty Davis, or at least in the mind of the of the director. She immediately how, declined it. How but old? I was going to say, how old would she be at that point? Too old for this shit. So she said, <laughs> like I did thanks, not work no my thanks. way up to be in Black Christmas. That's right. As an <laughs> Well, you know, jokes on her because this movie blew the hell up. Again, I'll wait to talk about reception whenever. I guess I'll just listen to you talk about it. All I know is that it's a huge cult classic because everyone's recommending it to us. And there are two remakes, which is very confusing. I just have two more characters I want to talk about. There's more than that. But there's Jess, who is very, very important. Um, She's... I, I hesitate to use the word protagonist because I think this is more of like an ensemble cast, but she's listed as the protagonist and she's played by Olivia Husey, who um, was internationally famous like six years prior for being in the um, Romeo and Juliet for playing Juliet. Oh, and, I could see that. She has that look. And she's English also. And she also, <laughs> I am glad I got, I'm glad I dug into her a little bit too. Um, she signed onto this movie um, because her psychic told her that she would, and I quote, make a film in Canada that would earn a great deal of money. Oh, wow. What a, mm-hmm. that's pretty specific for a psychic. Not really, because um, Canada makes like 8 billion movies a year. So, I mean, I would never, if I was psychic in America, I'd never be like, go to Canada. That's well, she was in, probably in England. I don't yeah. think it, well, I'm Canada. I'm glad that you said that because her voice, she sounded English, but she sounded, I just was having trouble with her voice. She's like very clearly way. English. It was a very pretty voice, but I don't know. I, just Peter. 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 Anywho, please continue. If you're like me and you think that it's weird um, that she chose a job based on a psychic's suggestions, you're not the only one because Margot Kidder is quoted as saying that Olivia was a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this is the badass, right? Yes, that's that's um She's Barb. Like, I don't know about her. She's like, mm, no. So Margot Kidder, um, she very fondly remembered the shooting of the film, and, and she said, and I quote, "It was fun. I really bonded with Andrea Martin, which is Phil's character, and it was really fun to film in Toronto and Ontario." And then she goes on to say, "Olivia Husey was a bit of an odd one. She was obsessed with the idea of falling in love with Paul McCartney through her psychic. We were a little hard on her for things like that." <laughs> That's amazing. Rightly so, Margot. Rightly so. And then just actually just one more person I want to credit, and that's the voice of Billy, the phone voice, because we never meet Billy, which I I really thought I would because in the first in – in the remake that I had watched, they throw Billy in your face straight out the bat. The remake was so different that I well, have clearly. no associations <laughs> between the – I truly do not. Like I watched I that know. entire – like I'm – Shook that you told me that, Kate, because I watched the entire movie not at one point having a, oh, did I watch the remake? Never once. No. 
it, they're they're not the same movie at all. No, I kind not. of want to watch the 2019 one. I'll wait until you tell me how it did. Yeah, we'll talk about mm, that. Don't later. tell me yet. Don't tell me. I'm so excited. <laughs> Um, so I just want to um, reference. I'm sorry. I just want to credit Billy's phone voice. There's technically two people who voiced Billy. The first being Bob Clark. He, I think maybe he needed to go do a Christmas story after that. He got a little too into it. I don't know. Bob had a lot inside of him for this movie, and he did a great job. So A plus for Bob. And he would, whenever Bob was recording the voice, Bob would. Should I call him Mr. Clark? I feel weird calling him Bob. Bob Clark would. That, yeah, Bob Clark weirder. sounds the most natural. I think Mr. Clark sounds like he's your fifth grade teacher. And Bob <laughs> sounds like he's your bowling friend. All right, I'm going to go with Bob then. So Bob would record this by you standing that on. remember time Bob did? You know, remember that time? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember. Bob would go and stand on his head and he would record all of his voice recordings You're upside making down. That up. No, I'm not. He did it so that his organs would like press down on his diaphragm and compress his chest. He's an idiot. <laughs> no, he's Stupid. not. He's he's a creative visionary. He's a future medical doctor. I'm diagnosing that <laughs> the, all the organs just fall down and just slam. They his kind diaphragm. of do. That's like I whenever mean, they, they maybe gently, sort of a little bit compress. I don't know. That no, just they seems, no, they do. They I totally think there are other do. ways to alter your voice than standing on your head. That's all. I'm saying. It was the seventies, Emma. You work with what you're. The budget was only two billion dollars in today's money. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry, I can't afford another thing. I'm just gonna have to stand on my head. <laughs> Well, he stood on his head, but he also hired someone. He hi- hired to stand Nick on their Man- head. No, they didn't. They went the old-fashioned way of just voice acting. He hired Nick Mancuso, who was an Italian American actor, and um, whenever he auditioned him for the role, he had Mancuso sit in a chair facing away from him so he wouldn't see his face, and he would just do different. He was like, just go wild, and um, the actor, like the voice, Nick Mancuso, said that. It was like a very avant-garde experience because really they just did all of his dialogue in like a very short amount of time and they would just let him try all these different voices and whatever whatever demon wanted to come out of him at that moment. So that I thought that was really cool. If you were to call someone to scare them, give me your best caller voice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You sound like a Muppet. Yeah, but a dangerous Muppet. Wait, what would yours be? Hello. See, mine's scarier. Hi there. <laughs> yours is better. Yours is stronger, but mine Please. is... <laughs> See, me! I think mine's scarier. Hello. No, that no. just sounds like you're paying from the office. <laughs> I was going to say, now it sounds like I'm making racial slurs that I do it not does. intend to. It does. Um, one out of okay, ten, not move. not scary. All right, I'll stick I'll stick to medical school. No voice acting for me. No voice acting. Um, right. I have two more things because I do want to start talking about um, – I'm sorry. I want to start listening. I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> hey, did you cover reception and now this is your subtle way of telling me I that didn't. I don't have a job? <laughs> I really didn't. I just sometimes I forget that I'm already talking and I get excited to continue talking. <laughs> now, um, I wanted to say that I thought that Bob Clark did a 
I liked the way he approached this movie because a couple of things. One, Halloween is always quoted or referenced as being the like the godfather of all slasher movies, as being the very like the first of the genre that we know and recognize today. And that's really not true. Like they get a lot of the credit, but this was the first one to do the slasher movie the way that it's done, the way that we recognize it today. And I like no further offense meant to Carpenter by that. Like I just he just didn't invent it. And I don't feel bad saying that because Carpenter thought the same thing. John Carpenter, who directed Halloween, he was a huge black Christmas fan. And that directly inspired Halloween to the point that he was like, oh, I want to make a babysitter serial killer movie too. He was even going to have it be like an indirect sort of sequel for Black Christmas. So I feel like people should know the name Bob Clark more than they do. And not just for a Christmas story, but also for this. (laughs) I think as you said... Halloween didn't do it first. I heard about 25 listeners pause and swipe up. (laughs) Does that mean they didn't listen to it? Uh, They just said, stop hating on Halloween. Bye. I'm not. I promise I'm not hating on Halloween. You don't have to apologize anymore, Kate. They're already gone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I promise I'm not shitting on Halloween a second longer. I just, I just appreciate Bob You're Clark. just appreciating a different person. <laughs> yeah, sure. I also appreciate about Bob Clark, and I thought I think this says a lot for the 70s because they weren't good to women in the 70s. Or, you know, this movie, they weren't good to women in the 70s. But Clark, at least, Bob Clark, if Clark feels right. I'm going to go with just Clark. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob Clark, a.k.a. Bobby, a.k.a. Mr. Clark, a.k.a. Clark, he said that college and high school students are not or had not been depicted in movies and in television with any sense of reality because in American film, I should say he was specific to dis America, which is fair. And he, and he said that he intended to capture the astuteness of young adults. And I have a direct quote from him where he says, college students, even in 1974 are astute people. They're not fools. It's not all bikinis, beach blankets and bingo. I kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if college kids were ever into bingo, but I can't speak for the 19th. They were. It was a that, different that, time. That doesn't align with my college experience. But maybe you didn't so play much. bingo. I had no. a college friend that played bingo like religiously. Were you babysitting them? I wasn't. She was an adult. <laughs> was it your roommate, Kate? I mean, yeah, it was. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I know who this is. okay so emma i want to hear about critical reception tell me tell me tell me i can't wait to hear you talk about i promise i didn't research (laughs) it i'll stop talking yeah so i'm gonna ask kate a question but i think we're all gonna take a little eyebrow up for being a little skeptical about whether or not she already knows the answer first of all kate did this do well or not well did this test well or not Mm -hmm. well you mean like test like like do people like this movie kate Answer the question. (laughs) Yes. Yes. They liked it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yes, that is correct. Okay. So IMDb gave it a? Eight. Kate, we all know IMDb stays in the seven, so don't be a fool. I was being (laughs) optimistic. I had the Christmas spirit. IMDb gave it a 7.2. That's good. It's whatever. Out of 10. But it's good compared to how do you think the 2006 version did? Poorly. <laughs> Give me a number. I don't remember, but I did a whole podcast on that. So <laughs> it was a 4.6? Yeah. 
So we're, we're dropping quickly. So we went from a 7.2 on the original, a 4.6 on the remake, and then the most recent one got a 3.3. <gasps> oh, so they really should stop. I can't wait to watch that one. But, they did, just, they make, but did they make money? I have no idea. They, they, just, they, they did is the answer. <laughs> they did make money. Um, IMDb or no, um, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 71%, which is was that, pretty solid for Rotten Tomatoes, particularly for Is that for like horror critic movie. or – that was critics, and then okay. the audience higher or lower than cr- critics? Higher, higher. So it got seventy five percent. Oh, <laughs> well, we'll give it the four percent. It's still and higher. Then, speaking of audience, the Google users, the Google users, Google users. <laughs> I mean, that's what they called them. Humans. Let me guess, ninety seven or something stupid. Why? Why are you saying that? Because every time that I look up a show, Google go- is like Google totally it. watch it. I think it's too easy to to check the box or something. So it's just, anyway. well, no one's going out of their way to go on Google to tell Google that they didn't like a movie. It's just well, people I have who really that speak. <laughs> oh my god, tell so, it to me. First of all, Google gave it not Google, but Google, Google. users slash humans gave it eighty seven percent. That's so too take high. that for what it's. <laughs> I don't – I'm sorry. I don't mean – that's not in how – I'm sorry. I don't I mean agree. that in I this think movie. it's too high, but I understand I don't what you're mean saying. that the movie doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying that Google is always, always leaning way, way too high. Yeah, I hear you. Like everything's 90-something. So positive audience reviews. Um, here's one from Nathan Langdon on Google who says, although the movie is labeled as a horror slasher film, I think it effectively utilizes terror throughout as opposed to horror. And this was from a larger, overwhelmingly positive review. I think that's very interesting because it's not as much – I think what he's speaking to is that there's not as much in this film that's just overtly graphic. There are some graphic scenes, you know, when you see kind of like the the house mom hanging and things like that. But I think what it does more effectively is build suspense. And that's what he's speaking to about building terror. Another one that is positive. Made at a time where there were as yet no fixed rules for the slasher subgenre. Here, anything goes and the survival of neither virgin nor even final girl comes guaranteed. I think that's a great, a great positive look at it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Um, Another one that was positive Suspense, intrigue, murder, Black Christmas brings together many cinematic elements that make it a solid horror film, the best of the holiday horror genre. Oh, okay. I mean, it's it's a good one in the holiday genre, but there's a – I don't know. The whole time I was watching this movie, I was, without meaning to, comparing it to Silent Night, Deadly Night – I want to hear your thoughts about that in a second because I yeah. I I listened to y'all cover that one, but I didn't watch it myself, and it's been so long since I heard you cover it that I don't mm-hmm. really re- remember any of it. Um, which is why you should all go re-listen, folks. Just kidding. Okay, it's it's a it's it's a good. <laughs> I mean, we have a whole three months until Christmas is over, so I think yeah. It's a what great is it? The ninety days of Christmas. My true love yeah. gave to me. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, mixed reviews. So here's one that I think. Um, I think uh, kind of summarized what a lot of people were saying about it. So even if uneven and with many unnecessary scenes that are there just to bloat the paper thin plot, this is an effective. Ooh, ouch! This is an effective horror movie and one of the precursors of the slasher subgenre that can be quite disturbing and tense when refusing to reveal the killer's identity. And that one I think is the one that I most agree with. So I, hmm. I'll go ahead and say that I'm not blindly in support of this movie, but I can appreciate what it's done for the genre. And I also – I thought the not revealing the killer's identity, I think – I thought that was a strong move. Um, and 
more thoughtful than I think some horror that I've seen. And I also think that the well, the ending of the movie was far more was far better than there was like it was that more middle, effective. The, the first to second two thirds of the movie. I was like, some of this needs to get cut. Like there was just some <gasps> slow stuff going on. Oh, Emma. And then here's one that I don't think is, I don't completely agree with, but I do just want to give a shout out. So this is how mm-hmm. I know that woman's name. Only Marion Waldman as the house mother comes across with any life. Oh, well, that's not even true. I mean, and also she's dead. So <laughs> I, okay. Am I, am I, I overwhelmingly I positive. Hold- some people, it was kind of funny because people would get like in bitching matches because someone would put something negative and then like someone <laughs> positively be like, you're not even talking about the right iteration of this movie. You're talking about the 2019 <laughs> remake. Sir. Like, like, people got I mean, so I, I'm not mad at him for it because I absolutely, if you had asked me last year if I liked Black Christmas, I'd been like, no. And I'd be talking about the cookie skin one. <laughs> so, like, I, I think it's fair for people to be upset. I was that- deeply uncomfortable in the, I got bored at times. I thought the beginning was interesting. With this movie? Yeah, I did. I did get a little bit bored, um, but I really enjoyed their commitment to not revealing who it was. And I really, really like I, not just like oh that was cool, but actively would watch again the ending where she's like running down to the basement and then hiding in the basement, and Peter yeah. comes in. I thought that was done really well, and I thought that that was by far the highlight of the movie. You know, trying to like the discomfort of do you let this person near you or not? I don't know. I thought that was done exceptionally well, and I want to give credit to that, and also to what it, how it built the the genre without just leaning on a bunch of blood everywhere. Also, if you have a Peter in your life um, that's like this Peter, to be clear, not just someone <laughs> named Peter. If you have a Peter in your what life, what are you saying, Kate? <laughs> if you have a Peter in your life, you should keep your distance, regardless of if he's an open killer or not. <laughs> You take I got that back. Opinions. Kate knows I'm dating a Peter. Well, I'm just saying <laughs> Mace is not very expensive. Wasp spray. spray. I taught someone at work that. And I they think I'm to crazy. My boyfriend's mother about wasp spray. There you go. I, um, you know what? One of these days, someone's going to be like, you saved me at an ATM from a bank thief. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> Apparently, it's going to be a 78-year-old woman based off that voice. Don't discriminate against our club members. <laughs> I hope. I If there's a 78-year-old club member, club member, please let us know, and you will get a special shout-out and also can join the executive committee of the club. Also, the internet is anonymous, so there's no way for me to fact-check your age. <laughs> you can be anyone. Um, I So I was going to hold in my actual opinion until the end, but I guess I can't because I've more or less blabbed it out. I liked this movie. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very Christmassy. I liked, I thought it was funny. I thought it was earnestly feminist, but like not, I, but like, I don't know. I just really liked it. I don't know what to say. I just like Christmas stabbings and I liked Barb and I liked the house nanny person. I thought there was some good humor in there for sure. Like I, I, I actually chuckled like a couple of times at the house mom. I was like, she's doing the most of this woman. Like when I, I'm sorry, she's like fishing bourbon out of a toilet tank. Yeah. Meanwhile, we got Barb openly giving liquor to a child. Yeah, I like when she gave liquor to the child. I also liked the ridiculously dumb detective's assistant or whatever, whatever the police member was, who, like, just could not not be trusted with anything. 
And, like, they gave him, like, this, hey, we need you to do this, but please don't fuck it up. And then he immediately fucks it up. And you're just like, what do you expect from Johnny or whatever the hell his name is? Stop hiring people like him. Well, I just liked that he he is the only person who's at the desk. So you got to go through him before you get anyone else. Yeah. And you, So you have to convince this egghead and – Bless this man. He's just sitting there, and the only thing he knows is that if a woman is missing, she's off smooching with a boy. (laughs) Case closed. She's off being a prostitute. Literally, they find a like a dead girl's body, knowing that this other girl is also missing. And then one of her friends says, Hey, it's me, the friend of the other missing girl. Someone keeps calling the house and uh, making verbal threats. And he's like, yeah, it's probably a Christmas prank. It's like, Chris, I got a dead body up. over here. <laughs> and he just offers that information. He's like, I can't talk to you, ma'am. There's a dead body that I got to go take <laughs> It reminds me of that John Mulaney skit where they'd be like, you know, back in the day, they would shoot the Scuggins gang was here. <laughs> Yeah, it's starting to make sense. I'm like, yeah, if you hire people like that, (laughs) it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. We should just talk about this movie. We should just dive into the play-by-play. Let's do it. All right. We start with um, an unseen man who's climbing up a sorority house where there's this Christmas party, and he just climbs into the attic. Then we get the first obscene phone call, and Jess, the sweet little... English Juliet Rose goes and she answers it and she stays on the phone for a very long time. She sure and they does. Just, they just sit there and listen. And then Barb, a woman who gives zero fucks, <laughs> picks up the phone and just tells him to stick his ween in a light socket. Did she say that? How did I miss that? Yeah. I mean, she didn't say ween, but <laughs> she did. And then this creepy guy in turn says, all right, well, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Like, that's the beginning of this movie. So I already I am hooked. And then we have Jess calling all the... Oh, wait. No, that already happened. Hold on. Oh, and then we get Claire Harrison. Don't get attached. She's like, hey, maybe this guy could be dangerous. She's the only one who suggests this theory, that maybe this isn't a good person making obscene phone calls to these girls on Christmas Eve. So then she goes up to her bedroom. She's like, that sounds dangerous. Anyway, good night. And she goes upstairs, and then we get to meet Claude, who's the sorority cat. At which point, I paused the movie. Went on to doesthedogdie.com <laughs> and searched. Does the dog die, Emma? The dog does not die. And I was yeah. like, okay, resume. I saw several no's to Claude dying, and then I, I was more comfortable. If you guys aren't familiar, there is a website called doesthedogdie.com, and it's not just for dogs. It's for any sort of triggering thing. But the, the main thing that we use it for is anytime there's a dog or a cat or any gerbil on screen, you can go check before watching them get killed. Claude makes it out. Good for Claude. <laughs> the Claire doesn't. The sole survivor. Claire, Claire dies pretty quickly. Claire's the um, picture that you see on the theatrical trailer where she has the bag over her head and then she's in the rocking chair and she's suffocated. There's like, no is that can- you in the in the dry cleaning bag, Claude? No, it's not your cat. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Who'd have thought? But no one can hear her suffocating um, because the other girls are busy gifting their house mother, Mrs. Mack, a lovely floral moo-moo. <laughs> Which Miss Mac openly hates. I thought they were hating her. I thought like they knew it was ugly and were just giving it to her. 
Yeah, no, they definitely knew it was ugly. Um, but I appreciate that she puts it on and proceeds to get secretly hammered in it. <laughs> MVP, I'd stand by yeah, it. I'm, I'm not defending Mrs. Mack as being the best house mother of all time. Like, the only, one of the kids under her care is currently dead with a plastic bag over her head. <laughs> no one seems terribly concerned about the unhinged man making phone calls to her house girls. And, but you know what? I enjoy her presence. I'm not going to think about it too hard. The next morning, Claire's dad shows up to pick up his daughter, um, but she doesn't show up. And this is when I realized, oh, this is the 70s. People don't have cell phones. Because instead of just calling her, he has to, like, go on a scavenger hunt to figure out where her sorority is. <laughs> to the cent- most central part of the campus and goes, do you know my daughter? <laughs> and they do. <laughs> I was so paranoid. I was like, that's the murderer. Anybody? <laughs> Who we saw, I would like turn to my boyfriend and be like, he did it. <laughs> he did it. Well, if I'm sorry, if a middle-aged man comes up to you and asks you to show, show could you guide me to my daughter's sorority house? He doesn't have a daughter. Don't guide him anywhere. Yeah. Man, the eyebrows on that man. I don't remember like his eyebrows when I just watched man. it. He just, it was very expressive. There was just a lot going on with that gentleman's face. <laughs> well, Claire's nowhere to be seen because she's up in the attic with a bag over her face. But then we get to meet the most delightful vulgar Santa who couldn't give less of a shit about anything. (laughs) I guess the sorority house is doing like a charity thing for the townie children, but they're doing it very poorly. Like (laughs) they get like this surly, openly swearing Santa who has like his beard down by his knees, doesn't give a shit. Barb is snockered in her own words. <laughs> well, I, she literally, like, hold on. I have it written over here. Hold I on. love that. Tell me she says that. Hold on. Let me, I want to, I want to say it exactly. Barb is in the background giving sips of her obviously alcoholic beverage to these children <laughs> who are visiting the vulgar Santa in the sorority house. No parents to be seen. And she's giving him sips and going, I think the little bugger snockered. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mr. Harrison is just sitting there like, anyway, my daughter. <laughs> yeah, he's like, um, and then like the house bombs trying to cover up the lewd posters of just naked people everywhere, which I'm not entirely <laughs> sure why they're in the sorority in the first place, but okay. I don't have a problem with it. What I have a problem with is dad's negative energy. I mean, <laughs> his daughter's Just because your daughter's dead doesn't mean you need to bum <laughs> the rest of us. <laughs> kind of, like a little bit. Okay. Like he... I don't like his energy. You're like, ruining the- my Christmas with your familial <laughs> loss. No, it, he's just kind of sexist. Like he's in, he's judgmental and possessive. He walks into the house and it's like, I didn't send my daughter to school to be drinking and picking up boys. It's like, oh, shove it up your butt, dad. And I like Mrs. Mack's response as she drinks toilet bourbon in the mirror in her muumuu while she's putting on her makeup and, yes, swigging her whiskey. She's just like... Like, how the fuck is that my problem, sir? Like, <laughs> how am I? There's so many of them. I can't deal with it. Also, I'm drunk. You really can't expect. I don't know. I don't like his energy. He's possessive and weird and sexist. But his daughter's missing, so he's a little upset. Yeah, I think he's. I agree with you. He's kind of. Yeah, he's a little traditional and maybe a bit regressive. But I'm going to give him a pass because his daughter's literally missing. I'm not giving him any any such pass. Now, Jess, on the other hand, Jess is the very, I don't think she, I don't think there is a protagonist, but they keep calling her the protagonist. I really think she is the protagonist. We get the most background about her. We don't get any background about any of the other girls. So I think that she, by default, 
is a protect. Like we at least know that she's pregnant. We know that she's in this relationship. Like we get more background about her than anyone else. So anyone who's pregnant gets to be the protagonist. Uh, I mean, you can go talk to your good old friend Bob about that <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> That's true. Ah, Bob. Well, Jess is now explaining to her creepy, awful boyfriend, Peter, that she is pregnant and she's planning to get an abortion. Like she, she's pretty much just like, I, I'm pregnant. I have made this decision. And Peter decides that, yes, in fact, you will have this baby. And how selfish of you to think otherwise. <laughs> For him, he's like, you know I'm having a big <laughs> recital today. <laughs> How dare you bring this up right now? And he tells her to get out of there, but he'll talk to her tonight to change your mind. <laughs> yeah, it's very much like, what the fuck are you doing? But also, I'll see you later tonight for our day. But 9 o'clock? That- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very much She's like, vibe. I'm not going to change my mind. Yeah, I'll be there at 9. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, back in town, we have Mr. Harrison realizing that Mrs. Mack is of no use to him. He's gone to report Claire as missing. And we have Jess now back at home answering the phone because they still haven't unplugged the freaking phone. And it's a woman's voice now asking for Billy, but then it switches to male and it keeps, and it starts screaming and it's like, what did you do with the baby? It's really creepy. It really creeped me out. But then Mrs. Mack is back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and this time she's got liquor in a secret pocket in the coat closet. Yeah. I listed every single secret spot she has. I'm glad because it, those are honestly some of my fondest memories from this movie. Just <laughs> watching her like sneak it out. Just watching her be like, God damn kids. <laughs> Stressing me out. Ugly ass. <laughs> like, I don't give a shit about you. She doesn't. Well, she does, but like to a limited degree. Then we have Barb, Mr. Claire, what's his name? Mr. Harrison, and Aunt Vula from my Big Fat Greek wedding. Barb in proper form (laughs) cracks open a beer as she tells off a cop. And then Mr. Harrison is told that they're going to put zero energy into the case because college girls be tripping. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Their words, not ours. Not ours. But Bob's not done fucking with the police. And she gives her her number. She's like, yeah, it's a new exchange. F. E, and then she spells fellatio. And this guy's like, mm-hmm, got it. Again, this is the same man. I was, was impressed. I was like, she us. found a great obscene seven-letter word. I thought that was great. I was proud of her. I was very, I was I was proud of how quickly she came up with it. And the police are just like, mm, okay, sounds legit. For a while though, when this scene comes where that guy's just laughing, I was like, what the hell is going on? This guy's mad. About? And then I realized he's laughing okay. about the fellatio joke. Oh, you didn't catch the no, for the first like minute or so, I was just like, "Why is this guy cracking up? Do I need to be? Do I need to add him to my shit list?" And like, no, because that's a hilarious. joke. I didn't realize it was a joke. I didn't realize he was referring to the fellatio bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> there was just a weird old man laughing in the corner. I'm like, "Do we know him?" <laughs> I enjoyed him thoroughly as well. <laughs> he was also absolutely snockered at his desk. They're all now, snockered. We have Jess. Jess is not snockered. She's the only person with any damn sense, and she's actually looking for Claire. She goes and she solicits the help of Claire's beau, I guess, to actually find her. She goes down to the hockey rink, and she's like, help. I don't remember. It's a it's a very brief and not super needed say, scene. This is kind of when I start spacing out a bit, so I'm, I can't help you here. Well, it's a little frustrating because the entire reason that she – and it makes sense in the 70s, and it just makes me really respect women for the 70s from not killing every single man they saw. But she 
goes and gets him because she's like, the police aren't listening to me. <laughs> and then this like hunky hockey dude busts up into the police station and is like, my girlfriend's missing. And that busts the bubble of the guy whose main theory was, well, she's supposed to be smooching with you. <laughs> But you're here. What? <laughs> and they even at some, I don't know. I don't think it was at this exact scene, but later in the movie, that guy's like, so there's no other boys. <laughs> and like, Jesus Christ, can you please just look? Like, He's like, Jesus mm, Christ, okay. she's dead in an attic. Can you please get it going? <laughs> but now we have to take a brief interlude to hear the worst piano solo I've ever heard from Claire's <laughs> scary boyfriend, Peter. I got to tell you, it's, this is another anecdote I used on my mother-in-law, which was Kate one time playing the piano, hadn't studied for it because she was just didn't like the piece. And Kate, I don't know if y'all put this together, but Kate's a little bit stubborn. <laughs> she, just, she played other stuff at home, but she just wouldn't practice the piece. And then she got my recital to, piece. She got to the recital and played a little bit, messed up, started over, played some more, made another mistake, gave it another shot. So played again, hit some wrong note, stopped and said, I quit. And then she <laughs> So this guy did something similar, but instead of doing that, he like bashed the shit out of the piano. <laughs> See, I could have been even cooler <laughs> if I just got up there and just started smashing some keys in my recital dress. Yeah. But you Emma, you know what? I got the best compliments, the best pity compliments I've ever received. <laughs> like pe- adults were coming up to me at the end, were like, "You did a really good job," and I was like, "No, Aww, I didn't." These humans. <laughs> no, I didn't. Literally after that, I was like, "If Kate doesn't have to do it, I don't have to do it." So then I, I, I told Miss K, I told Miss K, I was like, "Hey, can I never do a recital piece ever again?" And That's her piano teacher. And she said, "No, you don't have to do a recital piece. Do you want to do one with me?" And I was like. I'll talk about it later, but probably not. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> I'm such a good influence. <laughs> Onward with Claire's scary boyfriend. So it's just a full scene of him just banging some piano keys. I kind of liked it, though, because it said we in horror, you often hear off key piano banging. I don't know if there <laughs> is on key piano banging, but I just mean there is. It's it's just they play in minor chords. I don't think they're this aggressively smashing the keys. Sometimes you hear weird like bangs on a piano, but I like that they took this so literal and were like, "Here's a suspect banging." On the don't be suspicious. Don't, don't be, be suspicious. suspicious. It was very much that. All the judges at the recital are just like, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> Everyone tell them it was good. I'm gonna make a note of that. Noted. So we get that piano solo, and then we just move straight on. At the police station, we have a new character. It's Mrs. Quaif, and she's reporting that her 13-year-old daughter is missing. Why are you laughing? That's not, that's a terrible time to laugh. <laughs> it just seems like you were taking a it's moment because to it sure sounds like Quaif, isn't it? Correctly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Mrs. Quaif. I'm trying to talk about her imaginary okay, dead I'm kid. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> She's not real, Emma. You're not going to offend any of her family. So Mrs. Queef is reporting that her 13-year-old daughter is missing. And the cops really don't want to be bothered. <laughs> like, now it's not even... Like, what do you want? She's kid. dead it's like probably a weeping... by now. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's cold out. We don't want to... 
she's this, this woman. She's like crying. She's like, my husband is a truck driver. He's not anywhere near here. He's not home. She can't be with him. She was supposed to be home and she's not. She's like crying. And it's the same idiot officer. And he's like, well, you know, girls and their tardiness. <laughs> you know how they be. Mm-hmm. You know how you know how girls be. But now Jess and Mr. Hockey Boyfriend, that's when they show up and the boyfriend's like, where the hell is my smooching partner? And now the cops are paying attention. <laughs> so much attention that they literally walk away from Mrs. Queef mid-interview. <laughs> like she's still sitting at this chair. Like, um, my daughter. And they're like, mm, the man's talking. I didn't pick that up, but that was super duper accurate. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Um, back at the house, Barb is having a drunken meltdown. Um, with and Mr. Claire is still there. Like he's like at the dinner table and they're just they're like, here, have some roast beast. I don't know what they were serving. Well, they were like serving him food and he's like, This feels weird. I feel like I shouldn't be enjoying a nice meal. I'm like, You mean in the in the house where your daughter is dead in the attic? Probably and this not. Is with- Pro- this look is when look Barb harder. Crosses the line. Barb crosses the line. She starts going off, and she's like, "We know Claire's dead, and everyone's gonna blame." She yeah, makes it she about like her. Was very she's like, everyone's like, gonna blame me. I think that I she care. was. Just I was like, mm. "You're not allowed to say that to someone whose daughter's missing. Like, get over yourself." He takes it on the chin pretty well. He's just like, he was like, "Yeah, probably she is dead," <laughs> um, but thankfully they convince Barb to stuff it and go to sleep. So then we continue the story with Jess. We get this interlude of Jess's boyfriend bludgeoning this baby grand to smithereens. Now, how could Jess not want to have this man's baby? It just really seems like a good (laughs) idea. Just a really good idea. And that's the whole scene is just him smashing the shit out of this baby grand. So now we, we put a drunken bar back to bed. And there, Mr. Harrison is like, okay, now that she's out of the picture, let's actually look. So they go to help actually look for these missing girls. They wait until it's freezing and nighttime. Yeah, so and when, I was, when I was watching this, Peter and I were like, wait, why are they doing it in the middle of night? What? Like, they just had an entire day, and they've chosen to hold off until the dead of night to do it. I'll tell you why. It's because of that guy who is the cop who works the front desk. He thought, he's like, if we wait long enough, we don't have to do it. <laughs> All right. I That's the rules for investigating out. murders. So like this, like the murderer, I thought this was a little extraneous. Like why is the, why is there a random young woman murdered? Like a, a, a middle schooler is dead, but then now he's in a house murdering people. It just seemed incongruous. Like it just didn't, like what? That actually is a very good point that I hadn't thought of. I was just on the yeah, murders are happening train. And at one point, I was trying to figure out how fresh the body was. I was like, is he, like, slipping in and out of the house to go, like, I'm going to murder someone out here, and I'm going to come back and murder someone in here? Like, what was... Seems like yeah, a great exactly. way to get I was caught. just like, can you chill? It just seemed like a lot of different <laughs> kinds of murder, but... Maybe it wasn't him. You don't know that it was him. Kate, are it you, was him. Are you a You don't really know that it's a him. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag if it doesn't Billy fit, you innocent. must quit. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't. I did not question why this random thirteen-year-old girl was a target. If he was in here murdering the entire sorority. How could he have murdered her out there? <laughs> it couldn't have been him. <laughs> what a good lawyer. Well, they never catch him. Her, it, whatever Billy is. But that's like also. Didn't she go missing like at noon? 
I don't know. I made that time up. That's but in my, my head, it was like, Has she been gone for a while or did she just not come home from band practice and he's suddenly like slipping out of the house during the day to do day murders before he comes back at night for his night murders? I don't know. That part didn't float for me. Curious and curiouser. Meanwhile, the house mother, Mrs. Mack, dis- discovers Claire's body. Um, she gets hooked in the face <laughs> and hung up. Don't worry about the physics. <laughs> they find the 13-year-old. They presumably find her body. And then there's another obscene phone call. And so Jess answers it. And this is when she's like, maybe I should call the police. (laughs) And so she calls the police. And this is when we get the amazing response where he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get hysterical, lady. Well, we're all really, we're all really busy here. There's a little girl murdered in the park. It's probably your boyfriend or something. I don't know. And And he hangs up the phone. That's not verbatim, but it's very close. I'll accept that transcription. Thank you. I appreciate that. Then we have um, Peter who surprises Jess at the house and he's like, I'm here. And not only are you not getting rid of that baby, we're getting married. (laughs) But Jess is like, no, thank you, please. Not interested. I've already decided like I told you earlier today. And he says, well, if you don't marry me, then you're going to be sorry. How Jess managed to spend more than five minutes with this man, I don't know. He's objectively yeah, he horrible. Like he has a lot of personal issues he needs to get get fixed. <laughs> you think? Thankfully, there's exactly one person on the force who has half a brain, and that's Lieutenant Fuller. He arrives, I guess, I'm assuming at like 11 p.m. He <laughs> decides to <laughs> He's like, okay, I'm on the clock. It's like 11.30. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, like, oh, someone's dead. I'm coming in. <laughs> And he arrives with this telephone guy and they are like on it. They're like, okay, someone's calling your house. We're going to bug the phone. And this is the part that irked me a little bit. <laughs> like slop, sloppy police work all around. And I really thought Detective Fuller or Lieutenant Wait, Fuller was going to do a better job. I, actually, I think that's a positive of the of the movie. I really liked the police work. I thought the police work was good. Like, I, I didn't find myself constantly being like, what the fuck are you doing? Like obviously I, with Mr. Felicio, like he was problematic. But I like that once the the <laughs> I liked that once the, the boss detective got involved, he was doing things correctly rather than just like blurp, 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 blurp. you know, I didn't feel like a cheap excuse. He was mostly there was one very major exception. Um they're like the, the this isn't a cop. I think it's the telephone lineman guy is like, um Aren't there two lines in this house? Maybe I should bug the other one. He's like, no, they oh, never yeah. use that line. <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> <laughs> you know how much faster they would have caught him Wh- if they just Literally, bugged if they the went other upstairs, line? Like to go bug it. They knew there was another. Oh my god! That yeah, they don't go into the attic. No one has searched the house. He's like, should we? And he's like, nah, we shouldn't. just keep it up there. It's all the way up there. Like, what? Like, why is there an in-service phone in the attic? I don't understand. I think it's supposed to be, like, Mrs. Mac's phone. Like, she's got her own phone. Doesn't make that a ton of sense. Make. But, you know, it was... Yeah, that that I, that was when I was like, oh, damn it. People still gonna die. So then we get... Excuse me. Then we get this plot device that is not at all original, but it always unnerves me. I always really, really enjoy it. They have to keep the guy on the line as long as possible to trace the call. Keep him talking. I always Chief. like that. I like that in, like, in a, like thrillers or adventure or whatever it is. Someone's, you know, ransoming somebody. They're still doing do it. it. They're still doing it. Does it, it take I mean, time? Like, I don't know. It was, That's it was not a my gr- specialty. Does it take time to, to connect? Oh, I, I know. 
I know, I know now because I did a bunch of research on it in the middle of this movie. Yes, I did. Interlude. I looked up why this is slash was the case. So first in the digital era, I'm sorry, first in the digital age that we live in, this is not a thing. So if you, dear listener, find yourself trying to trace a call, don't stay on the line unless you feel so inclined, because as soon as the call is placed, the origin can be traced. You can't hide from the phone company. As soon as it's placed, it can be traced. That's right. Even if they block the number, it still shows, it can show up as unknown or unavailable on your phone, but the phone company always knows exactly where So if you're enjoying the from. conversation, continue, but otherwise, it's time to get off the phone. If you're tracing a call and you're enjoying the conversation, don't be suspicious. Don't be. No, no, no. They're like, okay, hang up. You're like, no, it's okay. No, he's making some good points. (laughs) He's making some really good points. He's just saying things based off his own lived experiences. We can't fault him for that. (laughs) Can't fault him for that. But back in the day, they used telephone switchboards and operators had to manually connect the circuits. Hello, operator. Dial me 919. 919. Klondike 5. So if authorities were tracing the call, they would have to wait for an operator to identify the location, and that could take like 10 or 20 minutes. So if you really want, the the moral of the story is, if you really want to lose the police, you want to either use a drop phone or better yet, a stolen phone. But Keep in mind, that often provides minimal protection because the authorities can triangulate your position from cell towers and they can pinpoint you as near as the house next door. And then it's a simple matter of surrounding the neighborhood and going door to door and finding you. Anyway, after the police leave, the killer murders Barb with a glass figurine. Um, Yeah, Jess experiences another phone call and the caller, like, is... He, he overheard her conversation with Peter, and then Lieutenant Fuller calls her to say that you need to stay on the line longer. And she's like, well, I can't. He, he makes me nervous. If he's going to murder you, you should probably get, get as good of information as like, Yeah, like, as get with the program a little bit. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. Also, if he's on the phone and it's him. back before cell phones, he probably can't walk <laughs> around behind you and stab you. So keep hey, him on baby, the phone. what are you wearing? <laughs> Ew. Now who's giving bad advice? <laughs> That's what I would do. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Pervert them back. That's definitely not going to backfire. Not a chance. All right. Y'all yeah. Heard it. Uh-huh. Y'all heard it here. Can't wait to find you dead by what glass figurine Kate, murder. my sister. Can't wait to find you dead. <laughs> I'm not gonna you better hope you. I don't get murdered, Kate, because you have audio that's very incriminating. <laughs> <laughs> it's re- you better wear something super conservative and unassuming. They're going to play this for the jury, and that's going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we, we digress. No makeup and pigtails. Oh, that's the acquittal outfit. Now, Lute, that's a, we're just advice handing out murder great advice for serial Go to our Patreon. <laughs> the hashtag we don't have a Patreon. <laughs> Go be a gold tier member on how to get rid of your fingerprints. Hashtag I wish we had a Patreon. Um, not, all, not all of these movies are free on YouTube. Now, anyway, Phil gets murdered. You don't need to worry about it. Uh, then Jess gets another phone call, and um, he's he. That's when we start hearing about him, about him talking about. He's like blah blah Agnes, blah blah Billy, and I know those names from the remake because they really flesh those out to a fault. One might say, um, in the remake about Agnes and Billy, but the, luckily the call is at least long enough to be traced, and um, 
that guy, the useless one, kind of like he he's very even this he does badly. He calls her. He calls her and is like, "Hey, fun idea. Just leave the house." <laughs> and she and I'm sorry. Maybe I'm jaded. Maybe I've watched too many horror movies. But if someone called me, if a police officer who was watching my house called me and said, "Hey, leave." I'd be like, okay. <laughs> She's like, but what for? Let me go upstairs. So she doesn't do that. Creating a beautiful horror trope of going upstairs and you're not supposed to. That's true. That This is like kind of the first one-ish. I, I'm reluctant to say that, but it's one of the first ones, if not the first one. But then the killer appears and pursues her. She runs down into the basement and peters outside the windows, invites himself in. The police show up. Jess is screaming. They find her in the basement, unconscious. Let's not rush this, though, because I love this part. Like, I mean, I guess it, narratively it, it goes by pretty quickly, but I just want to reiterate that this was my favorite part of the movie. Well, maybe, maybe you should tell it. You tell it. Well, I it, it was just like, so she has realized that the murderer is in the house and that her friends are dead. She runs to hide. You're, I felt like all of that was well-paced, so you're really kind of investing in it. Like, you you feel very much with her. And she goes down into the basement and then hides. And then you feel like, okay, well, she's protected, protected herself from the front of, from the top of the basement, like the top of the stairs. But then she's hiding, and then you see Peter. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, is Peter friend or foe? And it was just incredibly mm-hmm. uncomfortable. I, like... I like kind of guessing the end of the movie and I couldn't – at that point, I had not decided whether or not Peter was or wasn't because normally – Peter I is foe. Regardless of if he has killed anyone yet, he's going to. Very true. but w- At some point in his life. Yeah, seriously. I was thinking, well, he's too obvious. But then at the same time, I was thinking letting him into this basement is a bad idea. Like it's just a bad mm-hmm. idea. And so I don't know. I thought that, that I was the most tense and engaged with the movie over the entire hour and a half or however long it was at this point. Oh, okay. Very well put. I'm, I'm glad that you – I'm glad you liked that. I did. I preferred the um, scenes where Barb was still alive and getting snockered. <laughs> Those are the best comedy for sure. I think the best, the-, the best scenes were like – the very beginning when you introduced to him, because I, I like the things that he's saying when he I don't okay, let me Ew <laughs> I don't like Jesus Christ. I don't like what he's saying. I don't like what he's saying, but I, I thought it was effectively he makes uncomfortable. Some good point. <laughs> he makes some good points. God. No, I thought it was effect- effectively uncomfortable and I thought that that was good. And then yeah. like I got invested in the calls and then nothing happened for a while and things are just kind of bloop 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 along and even when people died, I was kinda like mm. What is wrong with you? But then I thought it really picked up at the end. I definitely think it picked up at the end. Um, so she's in the basement. Um, she's got Peter on her lap. Um, presumably dead, right? Yeah, he was dead. Okay, he was dead. Um, and then <laughs> the police, they still haven't gone in the freaking attic. They still haven't so, searched the house. Like, what the no, fuck? No, they have not searched the house. They they have found a missing person, like, in the snow somewhere, but they have not swept this house. So they tuck her to bed. Like, oh, she had a... They don't take her to the hospital. Nothing. Like, all right, just tuck her in bed. She had a rough day. And then they leave. I think that they're, like, guarding the door, maybe. But no one checks the attic. And so she's just left in the house. And then the telephone 
starts to ring, and that's the ending. I thought that was a good ending. Um, I did too. I wanted to see his feet drop down. I thought that would have been cool. Like if his feet like drop down from the little hole in the attic. That's yeah, because they, they keep showing the little attic crawl. I just wanted, yeah, area. I just wanted to see like he's about to actively go kill her because I think that would have been a, a, a nice. I mean, not nice, but a rounding off rather than mm-hmm. them just kind of coexisting, like her sleeping and himping in the attic. I thought it would have been nice if he like dropped his feet down as if he was actively about to slip out of the attic. Um, but I also thought the ringing was cool too. Well, you know, it had a different ending, at least a different ending that was pitched for American audiences. Really? What was that ending? So uh, the ending was different, and also the the name was different. So whenever it was released for American audience, it was called Violent Night, Evil Night. So um, Warner Bros. execs asked Clark to change the last scene to show Claire's boyfriend, Chris, <laughs> hockey guy, appear in front of Jess and say, Agnes, don't tell them what we did, and then kill her. Oh, so it's going to be the boyfriend. I don't know if that was Clark's intent. I think that might have just like been pulled out of Warner Bros. ass to give like a good end, like a not a good ending, but it would have been annoying. It would have been, it would have fit my ongoing theory based off of Dwight from The Office of it's the one you most medium which is a bad, damn which good I theory. I swear to God, it works it's really well. It's a good well. philosophy. But anyway, Clark was like, no, I want to keep it ambiguous for a reason. That's a stupid ending. And he was absolutely right. So. Yeah, I, I think that would have been a cheap ending because he would have been like, who even is that guy? Like, we don't know anything about him. He's had like three him. lines in the movie. He has no motive. Yeah, no, that would have been dumb. I think this was this better. This is better. Okay, well, that's we the movie. We need to rank it now. Oof. Okay, um, you give me the list because – give me the list. <laughs> okay. So for, <laughs> for, um, for those of you who want to check out our um, list, we have an all-ranking list of all the movies that we've watched um, – it's on our Tumblr. It's nightlighthorrormovieclub.tumblr.com. It's it's a mess, but it's our mess. So let's see. <laughs> um, I kind of want to – let me – I'm just going to be bold, and I'm going to start comparing this to Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is number 16. Okay. That's number 16 on our list of 43. <laughs> so I think I – okay, I really like this movie. Well, you haven't seen Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, it's a little hard. I would trust you because I haven't okay. seen Silent Night, Deadly Night. I'm going to put this – I think this is below Silent Night, Deadly Night. Okay, that's fair. That's a good way of kind of – like at least putting yes. it And again, that still it's has it in the that. top half of our – and that still doesn't seem very nice. In the top like quarter, it's, yeah. it's still doing very well. Um, so right below Silent Night, Deadly Night is Drag Me to Hell, then Evil Dead, then Insidious, then Idle Hands. Um I'm sorry. I'm just going further down. Um, I would so it's I, it's Idle Hands and it's Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I love all of these movies, so this hurts. But I think I'm going to put this at the new number twenty one below Idle Hands. So above Tucker and Dale. What's below that? Just so I can like wreck okay that. And then Trick or Treat, Raw, and Beetlejuice. Yeah, I think you could go about this. Okay, so that's number twenty one, which is just right smack dab in the middle. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I appreciated it as a as a horror fan. I can appreciate all that it's done for the genre because it really has done a lot. I like its cult classic energy, even though it's a very, very popular movie now. I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's, I know there's a lot of people out there who watch it every Christmas. I think I'm going to be one of those people now, now that I know what the right one is (laughs) to watch. I liked it. I just really liked it. So thanks you guys for recommending it. I'm glad that we finally got to watch it. Well, that means it's time to talk about the next movie. Okay. So... I have a couple of options. I thought that we've had so many great recommendations from both our email and Instagram. So first, I just want to thank everybody for giving us uh, different 
recommendations. And even if we don't immediately do those, we're adding them to a list that we are incorporating and hopefully we'll get to yours. Um, and if you have your own, our email address is nightlighthorrormovieclub at gmail.com. Yes, please. So either shoot us a message on Instagram. A lot of the time you can check our story and give us a recommendation there. Or yeah, shoot us an email at nightlighthorrormovieclub at gmail.com. This time, I think we should do a little bit of a shift. I think we should do a psychological thriller. I know which one you're picking. You don't know which ones I'm picking because I have three different ones. So I have – oh, I have four actually. So I have American Psycho, Christian Bale. (laughs) Well, not by Christian Bale, but he is – Written by Christian Bale. (laughs) So I have American Psycho with Christian Bale. I have Split Mm, with M. Night mm -hmm. Shyamalan and Prisoners. With Hugh Jackman and Jake These Gyllenhaal. These are very different movies. Then Cloverfield Lane with John Goodman. Oh, God. Oh, those are so... Aren't those good? Oh, those are really good. Oh, do I get to pick? So Split, American Psycho, Prisoners, and Cloverfield Lane. <gasps> oh, gosh. Okay. Um, American Psycho. I want to do American Psycho. And the main reason I want to do that one first is because that's my fiancé Nick's favorite movie, which concerns me deeply. <laughs> Let's do that. That was also a listener recommendation. So I'll give a shout out to them next episode. Thank you for recommending that to us. So, okay, there Thanks, you have Carly. it. We're going to do American Psycho next you. week. <laughs> Thank you, Carly. Yeah, okay, I'm excited. I'm excited. Oh, finally, Nick will watch a horror movie with me. Thanks, guys, for hanging out with us and covering uh, Black Christmas with us. Before you go, we really just want to encourage you to, if you enjoyed this episode, to please go like, rate, and review us on Apple, uh, listen to us on Spotify, really wherever you can get your podcast. Please just give us a like. It helps us uh, find other club members and kind of build up our club. So thank you so tell much. Tell us we're pretty. For, tell us we're pretty <laughs> and then come hang out with us next week when we're going to cover American Psycho. Yay! Kate, want to take it from yeah, here? Yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. All right, bye, guys. He's expanded his act. Person. No, Claire, that's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir doing their annual obscene phone call.